Hello and welcome to Eat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Churfus. Today, a brief look at the life of a famous chef. He trained at a well-known restaurant and by the age of 20 was an acclaimed chef. He cooked for high and low, including royalty. His kitchen was famous far and wide. People came in droves to tour his establishment. And he ran his kitchens on the labour of students who were, admittedly, learning a trade. His best-selling cookbooks and sauces made him a household name far beyond the limits of his own kitchens. A bit later, he overextended himself. He created a huge restaurant that set out to offer European cuisine to all manner of people. And he went bankrupt. But he also thought poor people should eat as well as the rich, and he campaigned for better food for them. He wrote recipe books aimed at poorer people and gave part of the profits to poor relief charities. He even set up soup kitchens in which he doled out nutritious food to thousands of homeless and destitute people. He sounds terribly modern, but he isn't. He was born in 1810. He was born in Moambrie, or Mo, French mustard place. That's Frank Clement Lawford, and the man he's talking about is Alexis Soyer. Frank had a family connection that prompted him to dig into the life of Alexis Soyer, whom he called the first celebrity chef in his biography. But unfortunately, Alex's father died when Alex was eight. He went to Paris, and his elder brother, Philippe, who was a master chef in his own right, started to have him around, but then got fed up with him. Though he found um, a good friend that owned, owned a restaurant, saying, could you take my brother and teach him, which he did. I think he was like a kitchen boy and all that sort of thing. They, you know, carried the pots and pans and all that. He was also a quick learner. But yeah, by the time he was 17, he was uh, a grandmaster, a head chef. And really, when you look at it, he'd, he'd been in, um, by the time he left for England, he was um, 12 years experience. But then came the July Revolution of 1830 and fighting on the streets of Paris. Soyer, at this point, was chef to the Prince de Polignac, the senior politician in France and not a good person to be associated with during the revolution. Philippe, Alexis' older brother, was head chef to the Prince of Hanover, son of George III in England. And when the prince moved to England as the Duke of Cambridge, Philippe went with him. And he urged Alexis to join him there. But Alexis had a little problem. Uh, yeah, no, he got a young lady pregnant. Well, he was going through a bad patch um, because working at the restaurant, it, you know, his career was set. But then Alex decided that he would go and work for private people, that there was more money in it. Um, when the French riots started in 1830. So he fought and Philippe suggested that he come over to England and you get the idea, but it's only an idea, Jeremy, that he thought 
if he went to England, he could earn enough money to send back to Adelaide the woman that had his child. In the end, that didn't actually happen. It was in England that Sway's rise to celebrity status really began. The sad truth, though, is that we know very little about his life from Soyer's point of view. Having left school at eight, he was always embarrassed by his handwriting and his vocabulary, even in French, and all his papers were lost or destroyed after his death. But that didn't deter Ruth Brandon, the author of The People's Chef, subtitled Alexis Soyer, A Life in Seven Courses. Soyer's life... When I started looking into it, it was perfectly clear that it touched on a great many aspects of life that were not cookery. His entire life really was about class, class in France and particularly class in England. It was about politics. It was about the politics of food. And it was also about recipes, about about the way people cooked in Victorian times. So I thought the way to do it would be to imagine life as a dinner party and to pick dishes that that, that reflected this person's life. So that's what I did. And it was a lot of fun. We'll get to some of that fun in a bit. But as Ruth Brandon says, she uses Swaye to examine all sorts of things, like restaurants. Soyer opened the first real restaurant in England, and although he went bust, for a time it was a popular novelty. Restaurants were something that didn't exist before the French Revolution, really. After the French Revolution, there were restaurants in Paris where people went, where not only men went, but women went. It became a social, a, a social event. You know, you went out with your wife and, and, and you met men and women friends and you went there. And that was a very big difference and it remained a difference that he was very aware of between French life and English life. Because in English life, there were private cooks and private dinner parties where there were women. But astonishingly to Frenchmen, women went out, women left the room after the, after the dessert. Uh, they, they went and had a sort of a polite cup of something in, in, in the salon. And the men stayed round the table and got drunk and, and told dirty stories or whatever it was. Or there were clubs, the gentlemen's clubs, where men got away from their wives and got away from home life. And having cooked in grand private houses, it was in one of those gentlemen's clubs that Swayé really made his mark. The Reform Club for Liberal-Minded Politicians and Others opened in 1841, with Soye in charge of an extremely modern kitchen that he helped to design and equip, with piped gas for cooking, steam engines to turn the roasting spits, and all mod cons. But before he got to the Reform, Soye had met and married a woman, Emma Jones, who was an accomplished painter. She helped Soye, a cook, after all, even though a very distinguished one, to be accepted in English society, up to a point. He and his wife became, he, he already was, and she uh, sort of emphasised this, as artists, they were kind of outside class. He was foreign, she was an artist. They weren't 
bound in by the iron class system that existed in England, they could move in all sorts of company, and he did. And one of the sort of rather sad aspects of his life, she died in childbirth quite uh, not long after they got married. I mean, he, he they, their marriage was not long, and he was desolated. And after that, he took up with a ballerina who was also as it were, outside class. And he got theatre tickets for his friends at the Reform Club. And he, he he became, as he thought, friends with them. But in fact, of course, he wasn't a friend of theirs who was sort of, you know, more interesting and got theatre tickets. So it, 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 uh, his life is, a, is an examination, among other things, of class in England at that time. There's a portrait of him in Thackeray. He's a, he's the comic cook. In, in, in one of Thackeray's other books. That is not his book, Vanity Fair. William Makepeace Thackeray was a member of the Reform Club, and Swayne might have thought of him as a friend. If you want an example of how the Brits saw Swayne, read what he has to say about the comic cook. It's extremely patronising. Actually, I think it's more than patronising. It's really rather nasty. Alcide Mirabalon, the chief of the kitchen in The History of Pendennis by Thackeray, is very, very clearly based on Soyer, and a cheap foil for Thackeray's satirical snobbishness and xenophobia. One reason for that might be that in 1847, while Thackeray was writing Pendennis, Soyer was famously in Ireland feeding the victims of the Irish potato famine. He'd already built soup kitchens for some of London's poorest neighbourhoods, and when the government approached him, he devised and costed famine soup recipes that would be much more wholesome than the appalling stuff that was being doled out in Ireland. Swayer even travelled to Dublin to oversee the establishment of a model soup kitchen to his design, and to ensure that all the soup kitchens across the country were using his recipes and doing a better job. It was important work, but helping the Irish did not endear him to the English or to the Reform Club. Not all the members tremendously welcomed this very uppity chef, and they effectively sacked him. It says here he resigned from the Reform Club. He was, he was more or less sacked in 1850. His job there became untenable. I cooked his famine soup, and it was absolutely ghastly. But it was less terrible than a lot of the other, other things that the, the, the poor were allowed to eat. And it became very important to him that, that poor people should eat as well as rich people. One of the things that's very clear from um, his recipes in France when, or, or from a lot of the recipes in his cheaper cookery books, or, or his books of cheaper cookery, as it were, is that they used vegetables and seasonal stuff in a way that didn't happen anymore in England because of the, 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 the politics of farming in England, because of the enclosures a lot the, the, that had really done away with the peasantry in England whereas the peasantry in France still existed and still exists, if you like that. I mean, the common agricultural policy was designed by the French to keep small regional farms going. That's what it's about. So, so that he, he, he brought the sensibility that he'd grown up with 
into a very different society. And um, he, he always hoped to teach the poor to eat decently, which they didn't in England at that time. The English inability to feed themselves well took Swayé on his next trip to the Crimea. And he was simply appalled what, at what he saw in the British Army. What, there, were, there, there were two armies, well, there were many armies fighting there, but there, against the Turks and the Russians, there were the British and the French. And the French ate very well because the French had it organised. The French had cooks who cooked up eatable food. But the Brits, I mean, you're not going to believe this, each soldier had to fend for himself. Each soldier had to make a fire, had to, to find something to eat, had to cook it up. I mean, it was, you can't imagine how people could have done this. And indeed, they could not do this. And so they were really malnourished. And Swine was appalled when he saw this. And so he invented a stove. It was a cylindrical stove, um, which had a, a fire underneath it. And you could boil stuff and you could you could roast stuff. And uh, the, the army used a Swaye stove until 1982. I mean, it was a very practical uh, innovation. He, he tried to get every battalion or every, to, to, to have a, a, an appointed cook. And, and it, it, you know, he became very popular with the soldiery and you can imagine why. He also became very popular with Florence Nightingale, but that's a long and complicated story that's too much of a diversion. I mentioned that Ruth Brandon's book about Swaye is structured as a seven-course meal with coffee, and she's already said that the famine soup, though it was undoubtedly better than other soups on offer to the poor, was pretty ghastly. But what about the others? The centrepiece of her fictional dinner was Soyer's famous dish, dare I say his signature dish, Mutton Cutlet's Reform, which featured an extremely elaborate sauce. And I mean, I cannot tell you the business that was. I mean, it was it involved. You started on a basis of stock made with the bones of many animals, and then you added all. Uh, innumerable agreement. It took hours and hours and hours. And what came out at the end actually tasted very like tomato ketchup. They were pretty good, his recipes. Well, they were very Victorian. They were very of their time. He, there were a lot of sauces with flour thickenings, for example, which I would never use now. I mean, I do a lot of cooking. I, I really enjoy cooking. And uh, I would never thicken a sauce with flour. I mean, because it's a particular consistency. But the Victorians really liked that. That was one thing that I did notice very much. And um, But he went, he liked fresh vegetables. I, I, it's not my style, really. When he came back from the Crimea, it was really all downhill. He, I mean, he liked it in the Crimea. He describes the foot-long crayfish there were there and that he tremendously enjoyed cooking when he went to Odessa. When he came back, it was tremendously anticlimactic and he took to drink and he died of alcoholism not very long after. I, th I think he really felt a fellow feeling with, with poor people. He'd grown up poor. I think he was really much more concerned with ordinary people than he was, was with the Aristos. I mean, the Aristos were there. They employed him. 
that was that was how you could earn a living. I don't think, and but especially when he realised they weren't his friends, they, that that they didn't regard him as their friend, as he regarded them as his friend. I think at that point he became more invested in in, in making life better for poorer people. Ruth Brandon, author of The People's Chef. And earlier you heard Frank Clement Lawford, who wrote Alexis Swayé, The First Celebrity Chef. Special thanks also to Tom Nealon and to The Gutenberg Project. I'll put links to those books in the show notes at eatthispodcast.com. And if this episode piqued your interest, there's so much about Swayé we didn't get into. His cookbooks, his inventions, including a tea kettle that gave birth to the modern coffee percolator, and a tiny tabletop stove, the magic stove he called it, that was used to heat a picnic at the top of the pyramid in Egypt. Start with the episode notes if you're so inclined. A few supporters renewed their donations this past week. My sincere thanks to them and to everyone who helps to keep the lights on. If you'd like to join them, go to eatthispodcast.com slash supporters and sign up there. And you should also sign up for the newsletter if you're not already a subscriber. That's where I share the things I've found on the web in between episodes. It's a lot of fun and a good way for us to keep in touch. And that's it for another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm always happy to hear from you, jeremy at eatthispodcast.com. But for now from me and Eat This Podcast. Goodbye, and thanks for listening.